Hey guys, on today's pod I had on Joshua Everly of NBA HoopMag and NBA Canada. Josh came on to talk about the NBA in general and what's going on beyond the Toronto Raptors around the rest of the league. We dive into the Western Conference, who's the second best team in the conference, as well as who is going to make the playoffs in that league. Then we talk about the Eastern Conference, the top tier of the East, and who belongs in that top tier. Does Indiana belong with the rest of the four teams? And when you break it down, how does the East stack up? Make sure you read all of Josh's stuff on HoopMag and on NBA Canada, as well as follow him on Twitter at Josh Eberly, E-B-E-R-L-E-Y. How's it going? Oh, it's going well. It's going well. Uh, my Cowboys might not let me down in devastating fashion today, so uh, I'm, I'm starting the day optimistic. Yeah, we are recording this Saturday morning. It will be released on Sunday sometime, so you guys will know whether Josh was either <laughs> disappointed or not by the end of the time. Perfect, perfect, yeah. Um, we brought you on here to do just a general NBA update. Obviously, this podcast is based on the Toronto Raptors largely, but it's a good idea to keep an I keep an eye on the rest of the league as well. Uh, but before that, I guess I just want to give you some time to talk about Luka Doncic and perhaps put you in a good mood for the rest of the interview. Yeah, man, it's been, it's been exciting. And um, there was so much noise before he got drafted from people who I think didn't really spend a, time, a lot of time watching him or who were, you know, dedicated to the NCAA. So you had people saying that, you know, he was going to be a bust, the next Darko, he'd never work over here. And then on the other hand, you had people saying that he was going to be an MVP. He's the best prospect we've seen in a long time. He should easily go number one. So as a guy who mostly focuses on the NBA, who saw very little of the Euro game, and you know I got the highlights and all of this noise on either side, it was, man, like the hype is so big for this guy, and, and Dallas has been so star for star for so long. If he doesn't blow up, it's going to be so disappointing. But man, there's no one, there's no one that can be disappointed after his start to this year. It, it's just amazing that he slipped, and I know he only slipped to uh, number three overall, but it's amazing that essentially four teams passed on when you count Atlanta, and I know that they got an extra pick because of it, but it's crazy that four teams essentially passed on him, or three teams passed on him, sorry. Yeah, it's, it is. it is like I, I don't think Bagley's been a bad player. He's looked good when he's been out there. I think Aiton has been better than a lot of the, his critics said he'd be, um, both defensively and offensively. And and Trey Young might be okay, but man, um, Luca looks like the real deal. And you know, in, in a game that's like more and more about angles and, and 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 contact and offense, this is a guy that can distribute for others and get space all over the place. And he's still a chubby 19-year-old. Like, give him three, four years with an NBA diet and NBA conditioning, and him getting rid of the baby fat. Man, he's gonna fly. Yeah, his his picture was on the front of NBA.com today, and you can just see kind of the cheek fat, and I don't mean that in a mean oh, way, yeah. but just once you're right, once he gets on an NBA diet, it's unreal. He's going to see another step in his athleticism, which will only elevate his game. 
Yeah, I remember looking at like Anthony Davis is the guy I was thinking when he came into the league, and he was so thin that I I, I wondered if he could bang for eighty two. Like there was you know which apparently was a bad worry, but he was just his body was so far behind. But like it's easy to forget like when these guys come in how young they are. They're like literally literally still developing, and and Luca's the same way. A little bit to the other side where like he he's kind of just like a chubby teenager still. And he's already scoring 22 points a game in the NBA, dunked in to win basketball games. Can't wait to see what he looks like when he's at peak, his peak physical form. And when do you think that the turn on him will happen? Because, you know, everybody loves him so much now. There has to be a turn, right, where the fans start to, and not Dallas fans, but where, you know, basketball Twitter starts to turn on him collectively, right? Well, like Phoenix Suns Twitter hates him already. Like the Suns... Fans hate him simply because he's the the wonder boy and getting all the shine from this draft class. And Aiton has played fairly well and got no buzz. And and I get that to some extent, but that that those seeds are already planted. I'm sure Hawks fans and Kings fans feel similar to some extent. But um, it could come right after this All Star game because if Europe continues to go crazy and Luca somehow works his way into the All Star captain spot over LeBron James, uh, where he's forced not only to start in the All Star game but pick amongst peers that he's played with for 40 games, I can see a lot of people being rather frustrated with that turnaround. But it would also be pretty incredible, and uh, I don't know. I'm open to the chaos that would come from that. Yeah, it might be finally the time that they decide to change the all-star voting. So besides Luca, what would you say is the biggest storyline in the league right now? Um, the biggest storyline? You know, it'd be hard to veer away from Harden right now just what he's doing, the numbers he's putting up. Um, you know, I, I would still have Giannis for MVP slightly above him right now, but this last 20 games from James Harden has been pretty spectacular. And as a guy who doesn't really enjoy watching him on a lot of nights, um, he's had some some memorable performances on top of the gaudy box score stats. Like, he's been just on a tear. Yeah, I think there's a big difference. You can not enjoy watching him and still appreciate the efficiency in which he plays and the way he plays. I think those are kind of conflated a lot of times. People, just because I don't want to watch Harden play and don't particularly value him, that way I can still understand what he does for a team. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's you know one of those things that like fans mess up. And you, know, oh, you, you don't appreciate Harden because you say you, he's not your favorite superstar. No, no, no. Like, you know, he would have been the MVP if I had a vote last year. Like, there, you can play – you look at Tim Duncan, who there wasn't a single writer from 99 to 09 who didn't write an article about how the Spurs were boring. And, and, and a lot of that stemmed from superstar Tim Duncan. But everybody still loved Duncan. Everybody still voted him into two MVP awards. Like, there, there's definitely a line between, you know, appreciating their game and – sitting down on the couch with popcorn and having them be your number one choice on Saturday night. Like, I mean, they're two different things. Where do you think Kawhi ranks in the MVP race? There's two guys clearly ahead of everyone else. It's Giannis for me. Giannis won, Harden two. Then there's a bit of a chasm between those guys. Do you believe that Kawhi is in that next tier? Yeah, I do. Um, I think it's going to be three guys. I think by the end of the year, it's going to be Giannis, Harden, and LeBron. I think those will be the three guys in serious contention, especially because the Lakers have struggled uh, with LeBron out, and then he'll come back, and i got a feeling he's going to rip off. They'll rip off 10 of 12 or you know, 13 of 16, and, and he'll really push his case. Um, I think he was probably that third guy before he got hurt. 
But behind him, I, I think you can make a case for Kawhi Leonard, Nikola Jokic, maybe even Paul George, and, and Kawhi Leonard might be that, that the best candidate of those guys to be on the ballot there. Do you think Davis is in that tier or no? It's really hard to put a team that struggled to the degree the Pelicans have struggled, even though he's been incredible. You know, if the Pelicans somehow got to, you know, five, six games over 500 and they maintained that position the rest of the way, you know, there would be people who would vote for him just because of the magnitude of what he's had to do and the weight that that man is putting on his back. But at the moment, no, it'd be, re- it'd be really, really hard to get him on that ballot. Okay. Yeah, I understand it. That team has been absolutely terrible. Whenever he sits, right now they're sitting at 20 and 22, so two games under 500. Um, how do you see the bottom of the West kind of sorting itself out? Right now, there's 14 teams with a chance. We're starting to see the Grizzlies fall out of the race. I'm not sure the Timberwolves are real contenders. Who do you think is kind of those eight teams in the West? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, like people say the West, you know, in East balance some. You'll see, you'll see those takes. But then you look at the Western Conference, specifically towards the bottom, and you look to the bottom of the East and see – you know, 17-23 Detroit at 9, and 19-22 and Charlotte at 8. Uh, how many teams? Okay, so Miami is 500 now, but Brooklyn and Charlotte are both in and under 500. It, the, the West is tough, man, and I, I think the Lakers are going to get in. I think LeBron gets back. He's still, he still, he is noticeably not the same guy he was. He's taken a small step backward, but he's still good enough to get this team in there, and they'll figure things out. I think Utah's going to figure things out to some extent, too. That defense with Rudy Gobert is still very good. You know, Donovan Mitchell couldn't have shot worse to start the first half of the year if he tried. I think that'll level out a little bit. Sacramento, they've done all the right things, but it's just, it's just cramped. And I, I was a doubter of San Antonio, but here they are playing great basketball, surging at the right time. Pop's got them figuring it out. DeRozan switched his role a little bit. Aldridge continues to do the things that have made him a fan favorite in San Antonio. And I just I don't think this is the year that you know uh, the Sacramento or the Dallas makes that push out of the basement. Even though they both had seasons, I think you can be proud of to some extent. I'm with you, and Derek White for the Spurs has been a bit of a revelation too. Is in his rookie season's been really good for them. It's a year early for the Mavs Kings kind of run into the playoffs. They've been really good and they're really exciting. However, like you said, it's just so loaded in the West. There's a case to be made to me if you're the number one seed in the West, it's easier to get out of the playoffs than the East because there's so many top teams in the East. But when you talk about the overall talent in the conference, it's just a grind to go through the West day in, day out. You have you know, 14 teams that are legitimately good. As for the East, there's five. Yeah, and... I mean, even Minnesota at, at 20 and 22 might be my pick other than Utah in the bottom to to make noise because I, I'm still a believer in Carl Anthony Towns. Like, There's been a lot of talk about his work ethic and his lack of growth on defense and all of the chaos that went on there. But since Jimmy Butler has left, this is a guy that's averaging, like, what, 26 and 13 over a 15, 16-game stretch. Like, he's been just phenomenal, too. And, and I think he's still got that franchise-level talent. I think he's got better on defense. I think Covington fits well there. Um, you know, obviously they've got a new coach in Ryan Saunders, and there's been a ton of change there. But I, I think even Minnesota, who's at uh, 13, is definitely you know a top five seed, six seed in the East. So it's it's not changed yet. Yeah, I totally understand. Who do you think is the second best team in the West? Then that's a good question right now. And like, I I want to believe in Denver. Like I I really do. Um, 
assuming like I, you're saying Warriors are still the best, we all still believe the Warriors are the best, correct? Yeah, yeah. I'm okay, not yeah. ready to go off yeah, that yet. Okay. I'm like, if we're not going off standards. Yeah, I, I want to say Denver because, you know, they've had a ton of injuries too, and Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic have just kept the ship afloat and not even afloat but leading the conference. So that's really impressive, but I just think they're in trouble come the playoffs. Like, they don't have a great defense, you know, despite I, I don't believe the early metrics. They don't have a wing defender that I'm super excited about chasing a Kevin Durant or a LeBron James or Paul George over a seven-game series. Um, I think it might be Oklahoma City, to be honest. Like Similar to Mitchell, Westbrook has shot so terribly, and yet the team is still 9.2 points better when he's on the floor rather than off because of all the other things that he does. And Paul George is legitimately having an MVP-type year, uh, he might be the defensive player of the year. They're going to get Robertson back at some point. Steven Adams has played very well. Uh, the benches benches improved with Nerlens Noel and Dennis Schroeder. I, I honestly think this is the best team that the Thunder have put together post-Durant. And, and in a year where everyone else has kind of struggled to figure things out, it might be them. Totally agree. The, the defensive personnel with Denver just worries me too much. That super uh, conservative scheme there has helped them be good in the playoffs to some ex- or during the regular season to some extent. I question whether it will work against the Golden State Warriors. I also am right there with you with the Thunder. I think they're the second best team in the West right now. They are so good defensively. They haven't gotten Robertson back. When they get him back, provided he's able to do anything, and I think that's a fair question at this point if he can provide anything due to just the length of his absence. But they're so good defensively, I could see them trying to slow Golden State down and play a style similar to the Cavs did in that finals where Golden State lost. Obviously, the Warriors are still the heavy favorites in any series against them. But if you told me that the Warriors did lose in the postseason, the Thunder would be my choice of the team that I thought did it. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, like there's the regular season, postseason argument that Draymond Green made. There's players cut for each side. And I'm not saying the Denver side's only cut for the regular season, but you see that they're just, they've got a great system. They've got a revolutionary big man who really changes things. And I think they get wins in the regular season that they're not guaranteed in the postseason. And when everything is about switching, you know, all over the place, I don't know that they got those guys. And the Mason Plumley, Nikola Jokic lineups that are cute now, you know, aren't cute then. Um, and, and to your point on the Thunder, I, I totally agree. If Robertson is, you know, 75% of what he was, you know, he's still a very good defender. He's not all all NBA, but he's still a very good defender. And the length that they would have to switch up and down the lineup with Robertson, George, and Grant, who has also had, you know, a really rejuvenated year and, and really thrived there in Oklahoma City, um, with Adams protecting the rim, is is pretty formidable. And, you know, you're kind of ha- – for, for the Warriors to lose, I think we're all banking on some sort of a feud between Green and Durant or – um, an injury or like something else would have to go wrong theoretically for these guys to lose, I think. But if that that X factor does happen, I think I'm with you and OKC having the best chance to punch them in the mouth. How big of an impact do you think Boogie will make in his return there? He's coming off the Achilles injury. Obviously, when healthy, he's a monster. He kind of runs cult, counterculture to what they've been about during their success. Do you think he's an immediate success with them, or will it take some time to kind of work things out? I think it'll take some time time to work things out on the court just because um, they're not a give it to the big man and let him operate team. They've never been that. And uh, I don't see him as much as, you know, I think Warriors fans would love to see him sort of step in, be a little bit more aggressive version of Andrew Bogut a few years back where, 
he gets the ball high and he's a constant ball mover and he's screening away and rolling. You know, like that's not really who he's been. He wants to shoot threes. He wants to post up. He wants to run the ball down the floor. So, you know, his play style, he's a smart guy. I give him more credit than most people do. Like he didn't go there thinking he was going to score 30 points a night. But I think there'll be an adjustment going from who he was where he could do no wrong. There's nothing we didn't want him doing to yeah, now you have to play in a role. So there's going to be an adjustment there. But what I do think is an instant bonus for the Warriors is this lethargic, uninterested, up-and-down, lack-of-chemistry Warriors team that we've seen all year now gets you know a fiery competitor who hasn't won yet. I mean, he went there to win this year, right? Like That's why he's there. Um, he's not the kind of guy who likes to take nights off. He's not the guy that laughs at... You know, missed opportunity here and missed opportunity there. And I think the team might rally around this guy who took an MLE to come play with them and win and is as competitive as he is. So I think the team might get, you know, an effort boost, if, if you will, just from having him out there. It's hard to believe, knowing his transition defense and past histories, that Boogie is going to be an effort increase. But I, I'm actually with you there in the fact that it's just they've been through the same thing over and over again in the Warriors, and it's really hard to give a crap about a random game in the middle of February when you've won three titles. But Boogie is something different, at least, and he's something to integrate, and it's almost like a new challenge to kind of work on and a shake-up in your chemistry. Yeah, and I just I just don't think there's any fear in them. Like, they weren't hurt that Harden beat them. You know, like, they they might have been, you know, sour in the moment or whatever, but they're not like, oh, man, like, James is really un unlocked it this year. If we don't pull it together, he's going to beat us in the playoffs. Like, there's none of that in that locker room. There's no fear. And, and and if you can't have the fear of God in you, like, playing for a teammate who hasn't won yet and who was hurt and took less money to be there and is ultra-competitive might be the closest thing they have to a unifying force come before this playoffs. Sure. Uh, moving over to the East... How would you rank the top teams in the Eastern Conference? To me, there's four teams, and I'm not I'm not quite ready to put Indiana in there, but perhaps you do. How would you rank, I guess, those top five teams in the East? I would say, in, in, in terms of how they played this year or in terms of how I think... If you're picking uh, their chances to get out of the Eastern Conference. Okay. Um, I'll say Toronto, Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia. And then and, Indiana 5, I'm guessing. Yeah, and then Indiana 5. Yeah. Um, and I'm like you. They're just, you know, the, those four teams are in a tier, and then Milwaukee's just, or sorry, then Indiana's a half-step down. And uh, they played very good, and credit to Nate McMillan. He never, ever gets the shouts that all these other coaches do for having just a sensational defense in the NBA where he often plays two bigs, and, you know, he, Depot missed, what, 13 games? So credit to them, but... Uh, I, I just don't think they're beating those other four teams in the series. I really think Giannis is the scariest player in the NBA right now, uh, definitely in the Eastern Conference. Kawhi and him are on the same level, but the team in Milwaukee is built around Giannis and is entirely cohesive with him, where, as I feel like the, the Raptors have still not figured out the right formula with Kawhi. Like, there are great Kawhi Knights, and there are great Toronto Knights, and on occasion they come together, but there's not the harmony that I think you'd hope for yet. I agree to that to some extent. Milwaukee just filters everything they do through Giannis. I'm not sure Toronto will ever have quite the same level of synergy with Kawhi 
just kind of on the roles that they're asked to play. Toronto has a lot more going on besides Kawhi, and I think that's a good thing in general. But I'm with you as far as Giannis being the scariest player on the East because they rely on him so much, and he provides so much for them on a night-to-night basis. I, I And I think the Raptors, like Kawhi or Lowry missing so much time and Kawhi getting rested, like they, they haven't got enough time yet together on the court, but it just feels like Kyle is, you know, doing what he's supposed to do as the point guard and, and trying to get Kawhi off, and Kawhi is running and running a ton more isolation than he used to in San Antonio, and he's an ox out there, and there's nothing he can't do, and, and it's fine. And in the playoffs, they've missed that guy who can find his own shot and create contact and, you know, step up in big moments. So it's great, but I just feel like there's times where the offense just runs, hey, we're going to give it to Kawhi, and we're going to watch him, and Kawhi's not, you know, the passer or the doesn't have the same level of awareness that, that Giannis has it sometimes, even though he's just as skilled in his own ways. And I, I'd like to see the Toronto offense become a more cohesive unit before the playoffs because I think there's still division, and I don't mean that in like they don't like Kawhi and they're sad about DeRozan, just in, in, in the play style still a little bit. No, I'm, I'm with you. I've, I'd push back that it's over the past 10 games. I think we've seen that less, but I definitely agree that Toronto hasn't quite reached their ceiling offensively as far as having, you know, it just, they don't seem to have the chemistry that Milwaukee has. And obviously a lot of that has to do with injuries and being banged up throughout the year, but you're right. It's not the same kind of mission that Milwaukee has to, we're going to play this style and this is how we're going to play no matter what. Yeah. And, and I think Boston's going through a similar thing. Like Boston is still figuring out like, are we better when Kyrie goes for 29 points and, you know, dominates things? Are we better when, when Kyrie's out and we have 35 assists and everybody gets equal touches? Are we better when, when Kyrie purposefully limits his game and we try to split the distance? And, and they've had a bunch of different looks this year. And, you know, Jalen Brown's been up and down. and Taylor's been up and down. And, like, you know that they have a ton of talent, but they're still the, – the reincorporation or incorporation of Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving has been hard for that team – and I think similarly, you know, Toronto to a lesser extent has had to figure out now that we have Kawhi, you know, a bonafide superstar, how do we let him do him while also not sacrificing our identity as a team? And credit to Nick Nurse because this team has been been a very very well prepared, and his willingness to change the lineup and, and look at give different looks has been something I think that that Raptors fans may have noticed in, in comparison to Casey. So I think he's done a good job, but. Yeah, I still think, as you said, there's a little bit of a higher ceiling for the Raptors that they haven't hit yet. You mentioned Boston, too, and I actually agree with you on that. I think that Boston is the biggest threat to Toronto in the Eastern Conference. However, I we're also in the minority in that belief. Can you just explain why you have them ahead of everyone else despite their struggles so far this year? Yeah, because I, I think Boston's struggles are an identity issue and not a talent issue, and um, you look at this team last year and how gutsy they were and how hard they played. And obviously, after listening to me on this podcast for 20 minutes, you know, I'm big on forwards who can switch, and that's just what they have. Like, they have, you know, Al Horford, the preeminent switching center. They have Tatum. They have Brown. They have Mar- Marcus Morris, who's quietly having a very, very good year. And they can just make your life very, very difficult. Now, I, I have always thought Kyrie Irving was a little bit overrated. I'm not super big on the small guard who creates offense, isn't a great playmaker, and plays no defense. But in playoffs, similar to Kawhi, he's that guy who can get you a bucket no matter what. And I just think this team 
is formidable. And the fact, honestly, the fact that people have moved on to, to Toronto and Milwaukee kind of makes them a little bit more scary because this Boston team, this Marcus Smart, this Kyrie Irving, this Brad Stevens, these guys have thrived as the underdog, as the chip on their shoulder team. And I don't, I, w- I would like Boston to win 20 of 25 going into the playoffs because I don't want them going in feeling like people are sleeping on them. And I, and I do think they're the biggest threat to Toronto. Like I, I watched this team play last year without Kyrie and Hayward. And I fell into that trap of people who was like, wow, when they get these two guys back, they are they're going to be the best team in the East on paper. I still think that's the case, but they haven't figured it all out yet. Just how we talked about Denver perhaps taking a step back in the playoffs, I could see Boston taking a step forward. A lot of their guys, Kyrie Irving is someone who I think plays better in the playoffs. Al Horford plays better in the playoffs than the regular season, just the way their games kind of mesh up together. One team we haven't talked about in that top tier is Philadelphia. They've, the Jimmy Butler acquisition hasn't been quite as smoothly as I think they would have hoped, but it also hasn't been a disaster. What do you think Philly needs to do to kind of, you know, shake things up, or do you think it's just a matter of chemistry and timing? Yeah, so, you know, I, I got to write about them for NBA Canada a couple weeks ago, and basically I came to the conclusion that the, these guys are, their talent exceeds their fit. And um, the tough thing is you don't want to give up on anyone because it's not easy to get three top, you know, 15 to 20 guys in the door. But at the same time, it's it's really hard to envision them excelling together this year. And, and maybe by next year, Simmons has made uh, deliberate strides to try to take more jump shots. He's working on it. Maybe by this time next year, He's at least a respectable enough shooter that him and Butler both needing to play on the ball isn't as big of an issue. Or Embiid cuts a little bit more, goes back to shooting threes, and they can play with the pace that Simmons wants. Or Butler gets all the money that he wants and he's happier. You know, but it just feels like this year they're always going to be a, a weird triangle. You know, like it, Butler's personality, the slow pace of Embiid's game. The lack of shooting from Simmons, they they just they aren't a perfect fit, and I don't see any way. We talk about Toronto having a ceiling where they come together. I just don't see a way this year where that Philadelphia team hits the ceiling that you think they would hit with the talent that they have. And part of that is, you know, they dealt out Covington, they dealt out Sarge. Those guys were shooting um, set shots for them, catch and shoot opportunities ten plus times a game. They didn't replace that with anyone that deal, and that's not who Butler is, uh, which I think is part of his frustration. So I think they got to add more shooters in the offseason. they got to give this another year because they put those pieces together. They can't let Butler walk after giving who they gave. And, and Simmons and Embiid's talent outweighs the lack of fit. Like You just give it the time that you can because of how talented they are, but the fit there is it, it's really rough. It is. 2021, are all three still on the Philadelphia 76ers roster? No. Um <laughs> Like and, and and you know, again, that's just my opinion, and and I am trying to sell patience. You know, Low wrote an article ten days after me saying a similar thing. Like, don't give up on this core. They've been together eight weeks, but there's just it, it's just tough. I I think that there are, and it, this is no insult to Philadelphia or Philadelphia fans. I think there is a better basketball team that's built around Simmons, and I think there's a better basketball team that's built around Embiid. And Butler could be on either one of those teams, but not both. And and I think 
you, they're going to have to choose at some point. Do they want to be a fast-paced team with four shooters around Simmons, similar to Milwaukee, where he gets to push the pace and be a threat in transition um, and, and kick out to those shooters and have that identity? Or do they want to be a half-court team where, like, Joel Embiid is such a freak. He can beat anyone in the half-court, post-up, iso, whatever you want to run, pick and roll. But then you have to have shooting around him, especially from the guy he's running pick and roll with, especially from the point of attack. So I honestly think, you know, they're a trade away from, from being a better team. But that said, I don't think you're getting what you want for Simmons or Butler right now, and they are incredibly talented players, so you don't want to do that. It's a tough to do. Um, I'm glad someone else mentioned it. I've been long on the train that Anthony Davis for Simmons makes some sense. Do you think that makes any kind of sense, or am I crazy? I think it makes some sense. And and here's, like, again, I don't know if you can play Davis and Embiid together. Like, it's similar to the Cousins and, and, and Davis situation where I just, like, today's NBA where guys like Rudy Gobert and Embiid are already getting pushed off the floor in the pick and roll trying to keep up in the playoffs. I don't know if you can play those guys together. Like, I don't know if Davis can play four for 30 minutes a night. But, you know, he's a great player, and he does provide more spacing than Simmons, and maybe they're just so talented it overwhelms, you know, the norm here. But I I think this is the thing with the Davis trade, and they, the Philly could offer Simmons, you know. Um, Denver could often offer Jamal Murray and Paul Millsap. Uh, you know, Toronto could offer Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Fred Van Fleet in the future. Like, there are teams out there that can top the Lakers' offer of Ball and or Ingram, and I don't think it's as clear-cut as, okay, he signed with Clutch, he's going to go to the Lakers. Like, I, I, if I'm New Orleans, what do I care what Clutch thinks if I have to trade him? Like, I would be looking. There are a lot of teams around the league who I think can offer a better package. I'm with you, and, yeah, he might walk in a year, but if you have the stones to make a deal and just make an offer be willing to risk him walking, he's good enough to me that you can see offers come in that are better than the Lakers' current offer. Lastly, uh, Sorry, go I just ahead. want to say on that, too, for sure. And the other thing is like, oh, well, you know, he could say he's not going to resign. He's not going to give them any revenge. BS, man. Like, are you kidding me? If teams are willing to roll the dice on Paul George, you don't think they're going to be willing to roll the dice on 25-year-old Anthony Davis? Like, a team like Sacramento that's been terrible forever – and talking about Ennis Cantor as a solution to their problem in an expiring year isn't going to throw a Marvin Bagley, Bogdanovich pick pick offers type thing at them. Absolutely, they are. Like someone will do it. So yeah, I mentioned yeah. I mentioned Toronto. You have to at least give a call and be like, hey, what's Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, and a couple picks do? You know, why are you not making that call? And maybe that's not enough for New Orleans right now, but you at least have to make in an offer and see what they say. Yeah, I mean, everyone should do their homework as quietly as possible, yeah. but everyone, everyone should do their homework. Yeah. Uh, last thing before I get you out of here, what is your current uh, awards ballot looking like? We already mentioned MVP is Giannis, Rookie of the Year, I have to believe is Doncic. What are your most improved and your Sixth Man of the Year? Uh, so Sixth Man of the Year. It's really empty this year. It's tough because I felt like the first 15 games, I, I had a bunch of guys I would have been excited there, and it's kind of simmered. I, Montrez Harrell in in with the Clippers, I think, might be my guy right now if I had to go six-man, um, which is funny because Lou Williams is there and probably a viable candidate as well. 
I want to say Julius Randle, just because the numbers he's put up and he's been in and out of the lineup, but like the team isn't necessarily better when he's playing those big minutes, so it's tough there. Yeah, so I, I think I'd go Harrell. Uh, most improved. It'd be really hard not to vote for Pascal Siakam. Like, I, I, the De'Aaron Fox argument is good, and statistically I think he's improved the most, but I, I don't like voting for second-year players. He was a lottery pick. He was a high lottery pick. There's kind of expected to be a natural progression, and maybe I'm being a bit of a curmudgeon on this, but Pascal Siakam was not supposed to be an all-defense, game-changing individual where they drafted him. Um, you know, I, I thought he was going to be a serviceable player and what he could provide. I did not see him being this formidable. He's a guy that honestly could even be on the – not. he's probably not going to get into the game, but he's on the cusp of the All-Star game. You know, he's been one of the 15 to 20 best players in the Eastern Conference this year. That's a heck of a jump for a late pick who, you know, had no expectations of this kind of a production. All-star consideration, if not actual making an all-star team. I'm with you. And lastly, I guess, sorry, one more to it. Do you think Masai wins executive of the year? <sighs> yes, I think he does. Um, I think it would have been an easy award to give the Rob Polinka magic Johnson tandem. Um, had they brought in guys that weren't named Michael Beasley, JaVale McGee, Rajon Rondo. But given that they did do that, I think, you know, Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors potentially having the best record in the NBA will make it hard for people to vote elsewhere. Cool, man. Anything to plug? No, just uh, appreciate you having me on again. It's it's always fun. And I, what is this? Is my third tour of duty? Yeah, I think so. Recurring guest. Boom. I love it. Hall of Fame. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thank you, man. <laughs>